Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. Welcome to the Mick Ultra Golf Show on Sports Radio 96.1 WSBT. Presented by Michelob Ultra. Locally distributed by United Beverage of South Bend. Michelob Ultra. Superior light beer. Don't compromise. Also sponsored by Bill's Heating of Goshen since 1951. For all your heating, cooling, and plumbing. Also by Pet Refuge. Leck Leitner Door. Sherwood Tire. The Food Bank of Northern Indiana. Your local Edward Jones Financial Advisors. Edward Jones. Making sense of investing. Member SIPC and OSMC, the Orthopedic and Sports Medicine Center. And now, the Mick Ultra Golf Show on Sports Radio 96.1 WSBT. Welcome to the Mick Ultra Golf Show on Sports Radio 960 AM WSBT. I'm Darren Pritchett, and for the final time, I can say hosting our Mick Ultra Golf Show is John Foster, the retired general manager at Warren Golf Course at Notre Dame. And so I know he'll still be a contributor from time to time on the program, but his last day as a full-time host on the program, obviously we're on the radio. We can't see you, but I assume there's a Kleenex box and maybe a (laughs) bottle of whiskey next to you as you broadcast for the final time. No, that's just allergies. Okay. So. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you've been doing this a very, very, long time i mean it's been over a decade so i know there's a not a lot of currency that comes along with this (laughs) particular position and hey we all have busy schedules but first let me just say this john it's it's been a thrill to work with you and to get to know you as a friend and i know we have to record these things and you've got a million things going on so i really appreciate all the time you've taken to be a part of this show and obviously you've added so much knowledge and the humor as well to go along with it. So, so thank you so much for being a, a great friend. And I, it's been a thrill to work with you. I don't know how many years, 12, 13 years, whatever the case may be. It's, it's truly flown by. Uh, Darren, thank you uh, for the opportunity. It has not been a burden at all. It, at, at times, yeah, it can be a bit of an inconvenience, but once you get on the air, it's more than worth it. Um, and thank you for being so professional. I've learned a whole lot during this time. Maybe, I'll just go to Hilton Head, and maybe they, they're in need of a host of a golf show down there, and I've got all this to fall back on. Yeah. Wow. And hopefully they'll pay, a hell, they'll pay a hell of a lot more than you guys do. So. <laughs> <laughs> See, here, here's me dreaming. As you were telling that particular story or thought, I'm thinking, wow, if he gets on a golf show, he's going to ask me to host it via satellite and say, well, I'm going to be honored. But then I saw that wasn't going to happen. But that's okay. Well, nor me either so don't feel oh, no. so no it's been great and and tim who unfortunately isn't with us today you know tim's been a good friend for a long time too so it's been fun making fun of him um which is probably the easiest thing i've done on this show <laughs> well he had something come up at one of his golf courses so he's not with us today i know he would love to be here for this final show but how long have you guys actually worked together uh i've Let's see, when I started into golf was in 2000, and that was at Blackthorn. So 21, or well, worked together counting the golf show 
21 years. I knew him for about six or seven years before that, since the opening of Blackthorn. I played there very regularly and, and met him through that. So, goodness, at least 25 years. Why in the world did you get into the golf business? Because I was um, thinking I sold my other business and thought I would retire at the age of um, 45. And about a week later, I was at McDonald's at 7.30 in the morning drinking coffee with guys in their 60s and 70s. And it's like, <laughs> oh, man, I got to do something. <laughs> and no, it was the best move I ever made. It was um, I wasn't going to flat out retire, but I was going to take some time and kind of reflect on what I'd like to do. I didn't re not that I didn't have to do something, but for the first time in my life, I really had a choice. Yeah. And and, you know, um, it was the best choice I ever made. I mean, 20 years of it, it's been fantastic. I have no regrets. So, uh, yeah, wow. moving on, hopefully going to play a little golf now. How much golf did you play before getting into the golf business? Was it something uh, you loved to do and had a passion for? Yeah. Oh, there's no doubt. I mean, I, I played in high school. I, I didn't play in college. I had some other stuff going on. Uh, I played a little bit. But after my first job, when I worked for uh, Bayer Corporation and traveled all around the world in the U.S., I played a lot of golf, uh, customer golf, corporate golf. Um, then when I opened my own business, that time was kind of restricted the first few years. But starting in probably 95, through 2000 or so, I probably played three times, maybe four times a week, which was absolutely fabulous. I loved it then. I hope I love it again. What was the biggest transition going from being someone who just loved playing golf mm -hmm. to being involved in running a golf course on a daily basis? Well, it's it wasn't so much a transition, Darren. It was I knew I wouldn't be playing as much golf, and that was fine. I mean, mm -hmm. that was that was part of the deal, but. The one thing I went into the business thinking, you know, unlike a lot of golf professionals across and golf operators across the country, they grew up in golf. They grew up working at golf courses. I spent 45 years as a consumer of golf mm -hmm. and I know what's enjoyable. I know what isn't enjoyable about visiting a golf course and what, what, what golfers like, what they don't like. It's a totally different perspective. I mean, a lot of the guys that operate golf courses never paid for a round of golf in their life. I was, I, I was a consumer. And so I tried to bring that to the job and put myself in the shoes of the other, you know, person approaching the counter or taking a lesson because it's intimidating. I don't care how good you are. Most people feel when they go to a golf course that they're not as good as anybody else that's there. And you've got to dispel them of that and make them feel comfortable. So um, I'm more than transitioning. It was more just taking what I knew and trying to introduce it, you know, into the course. I, th I think as our whole staff, we were very successful in doing that. So how do you become someone who played golf into teaching it? Did you learn from somebody how to teach it? Or did you base everything that you taught to people on the fact that you did this in your golf swing or something that you learned yeah. previously as you got better at the game? You know, that's a, that's a good question, Darren. I, I mean, I always was kind of a student of the golf swing, read a number of books, always observed. Uh, no, I, I would not dare teach somebody my swing. I, <laughs> I would lose all credibility, but I had some really good mentors. Um, Brian Godfrey, I, I observed and taught alongside in clinics with Brian, with Tim. I learned a lot from Tim, um, from uh, Chris Crabtree, who was at Christiana Creek. I would just, and uh, um, Matt Blair, Bubba Blair out of Michigan City. Part of that was I would he was my instructor, so I would learn from him. I'd also go observe when these guys were teaching. And before you know it, you kind of develop your own style. 
And you, you, I think I have a very good eye for identifying um, certain things in a golf swing and simplifying it and realizing that one thing leads to another, to another, to another. Find out what the one thing is, and let's just simply work on that. Hmm. Interesting. John Foster, Darren Pritchett with you, the Mick Ultra Golf Show on WSBT Radio. So I've got about two minutes left, so you're going to be moving very, very soon, and you're going to be able to play some brand new golf courses. Do you think the style of golf courses are going to be a lot different where you're going? I mean, what do you kind of you expect from the golf courses mm -hmm. down there? Uh, the grasses are different. It's Bermuda grass. Uh, the greens are not, you know, some of them are Bermuda, but a lot of them have gone to past Palum and Tiff Bermuda, some things that resemble more bent grass. So the biggest difference uh, are the, the grass types. Um, the, the particular course that is in the, the community I'm moving is a peat dye design. And mm -hmm. from what I've seen of it, it's a pretty good one. It's not goofy peat dye. Uh, but it's kind of a, it's it's also what I like versus maybe Florida golf. It's not a lot of water on every hole. You got to worry about. There's some really good golf designers: um, Robert Trent Jones, um, Tom Fazio, uh, Arthur Hills. All the golf courses down there, Pete Dye, were done by pretty well-known architects, which is uh, really exciting. Hey, before we end this segment, I got to mention Rick Lamb, the South Bend native, made the cut at the U.S. Open. And I don't know if you saw, but during the coverage, they showed his 72nd hole and he made an eagle putt on 18. And I think you told me that he works with Paul Azinger and Azinger was in the broadcast booth. And yeah. that's very nice things to say about Lamb's developing game. So pretty cool to have a South Bend native make the cut and then gets a little airtime making an eagle on the 18. Oh, that's great. No, I, you know, once again, I didn't see that in particular, but uh, yeah, I'm really happy for him, you know. It, maybe this will, you know, start the engine a little bit because nobody has ever doubted Rick's talent. He just needs an impetus, you know, something to kind of flip the switch. And hopefully that's what, you know, this week did it for him. Mm, outstanding. All right. Well, John and I are going to spend a little time talking about the U.S. Open. John Rahm won the championship out at Torrey Pines last weekend. So when we come back, we'll dive into John Rahm winning our national championship. This is the Mick Ultra Golf Show on Sports Radio 960 AM WSBT. The Mick Ultra Golf Show continues on Sports Radio 960 AM WSBT. I'm Darren Pritchett, joined in this segment by John Foster, the former general manager at Warren Golf Course at Notre Dame, his final official show with us on the Mick Ultra Golf Show here on WSBT Radio. Well, John, you've worked with the USGA, of course, putting together the U.S. Senior Open at Warren in 2019. And the USGA just put on the U.S. Open at Torrey Pines out in San Diego. There were a few years, as you know, I was the grumpy golf fan who didn't like some of the non-traditional courses and the setups that the USGA were putting together for the U.S. Open. But Wingfoot last year and Torrey Pines this year, I think they hit home runs. I thought Torrey Pines was set up beautifully, and I thought it was a fair but yet tough challenge for the golfers. How did you see the USGA's job? I saw it the same way, Darren. I, I think they've, they've done a really good job the last few years, you know, despite a few hiccups, uh, which you referred to there. And, you know, we were talking off air about Mike Davis. That was his swan song uh, as far as opens go, goes. He's going into business with, I think it's Gil Hans, or I'm not sure who, in, in golf design yeah. and stepping down. 
But, you know, Mike's taken a lot of criticism. I think he's been, well, he's been with the USGA 37 years, but he's actually been in the CEO role, I think, for about 12, 13 years. And he made a, a number of changes in how they conduct open championships that I think we take for granted now that just was not the case before. And I think it's it, it's turned out to be not, not player friendly, but more play, player acceptable. You know, like graduated rough was a thing they didn't do before. They just had the fairway and then the deep stuff. Um which was totally unfair. So they, they've gone that route. They've been a lot more fair as far as hole locations. Um, and, and moving the tees around, that's something the USGA would never have considered before. Right. Short par, you know, drivable par fours, that was Mike Davis. So you keep going down to all those things that we find really exciting now about the U.S. Open as well as some of the other Opens that they conduct. And that just wasn't the case back whenever. So I think he's done a nice job. As I say, he's in, been in for a lot of criticism, but and I was telling you, his successor, Mike Wan, has done a tremendous job with the LPGA, is highly respected uh, in the golf community, uh, as well as the players love him, very innovative. So I think he's the right guy at the right time, too. So I think all things are a go for the USGA. It was a great championship. I thought they did a, another good job from this standpoint. When you're dealing with different weather conditions, early morning and then an afternoon, it's tough to get the golf course set up properly. What I'm referring to is first couple of days of the tournament, they were dealing with that marine layer, the fog yeah. coming off the ocean, and it caused the first round to be delayed by an hour. And the conditions were very, very soft very early yeah. on on Thursday. And I guess my point is, John, you set up the golf course to be firm and fast, and you got to be careful with the amount of water you put on the golf course because – if you don't put enough, you're going to lose it like they did a few years ago. Was it at Shinnecock yeah. when the greens just absolutely yeah. lost it? But they're dealing with two weather conditions, the morning and the afternoon. And I, I thought the golf course played extremely fair. I thought the greens were at a really good speed. And I like the fact that they put some pin placements where the ball is actually going to come back to the yeah. hole if you hit the ball in the right spot. Because when you think yep. of the U.S. Open, you think of the ball hitting the front of the green and rolling back down the hill or right. hitting the green and bouncing over. I thought there was a nice combination of pin placements where there were some pins that it brought extra excitement. You could hit it 30 yep. feet away from the pin, but yet the ball would trickle right down to the hole if you hit it in the right spot. And that's what I like to see. Yeah, and one of the things, I don't know if it was a Mike Davis thing, but in dealing with uh, Ben Kimball and course setup, who does the setup for the U.S. Open 2 in 19 at the Warren, um, they like to go 6-6-6, six, six, six. you know, 6, what they call easy, 6 medium, 6 hard as far as hole locations go. And in the past, when you had Tom Meek setting things up, um, and when David Fay was there, I think it was, we like 18 hard hole locations. There was no 666 <laughs> about it. And, you know, these guys uh, have developed a bit of a heart over the years where it's not all about punishing players. It's about identifying the best player that week, the best player in the world that week. And I think they did it. Um, and that's at the end of the day, that's what you got to come away from that with. Because if you get into strange, goofy setups, penal conditions that, are just out of the realm, you're going to get some fluke winning. And that's not the whole, that's not the idea behind the U.S. Open. So, um, I, yeah, kudos to them. I'll give you my personal story of the finish yeah. of that. Um, so it, would you rank it up as far as one of the, the best finishes ever at a U.S. Open you've watched? Um, I, that's an interesting question. 
I don't know if anything will top what Tiger did, that whole mess and the broken leg and the putt on the 72nd. Yeah. But I'll say yeah. this. To birdie two holes in a row at the U.S. Open is extremely difficult, first yeah. off, for what Rom did on 17 and 18. Right. And when you probably add up the number of feet in the break of those two putts, I would say that is as impressive of a finishing last two holes we've yeah. seen in a major in some time. That's uh, considering the golf course and the difficulties of the holes, 18 yeah. maybe not so much, but I just yeah. think the two putts were tremendous. Well, let me give you my perspective. So yeah. they're, on, they're on 15, the leaders are on 15, and my power goes out. And I, I can't oh, no. stream it because my internet's down. And so when the power comes back on, I see John Rahm sitting at the press conference. <laughs> so I don't know how good it was. I'm assuming it was really exciting. Uh, one thing I don't do, I don't go back and watch replays. Uh, to me, yeah. that's not exciting. So, um, yeah, that was my U.S. Open experience this year. Wow. So. Well, I'll say this. The, the, the two things that stood out coming down the stretch was the two putts that Rom made. And I don't know if you've seen the highlights. I haven't, no. Okay, they were both left to right putts that broke significantly. And they were both medium range. And I wondered, he makes this really hard left to right putt on 17. It broke more than the one on 18. But he had a wow. similar type left to right putt on 18. And I just wonder, yeah. after making a similar breaking putt on 17, if that actually helped him make the putt yeah. on 18. It was no, I mean... It it, it, it doesn't hurt. And I, you know, left or right is really hard for right-handers as far as putts go. And he, I forget what the event was when he was going head to head with someone and he made this 90 foot putt. Dustin to take Johnson. It into, yeah, that's exactly. I and mean, Johnson hit one too, but Rom is just kind of become known for that type of thing. And I, I was kind of rooting for Oosthuizen, um, not because I have anything against Rom, but uh, I, I really, he's got the best golf swing in the world. It's just, if you could clone that, it's just incredible to watch. And uh, and he's a good dude, I believe. So, anyway, I was kind of wanting him to win. But there are two guys I didn't want to win, and they didn't win. So, I think we know who those are. Hmm. Well, they the both dislike about, one another. Yeah. Well, yeah. the thing about Oosthuizen, you mentioned his beautiful golf swing. And they say sometimes he goes a little too fast at the top. Yeah. And he'll, he'll pull the ball left or or snap it. And sure yeah. enough, on 17, the par four, which has the cliff and the ocean. Oh, yeah. I mean, the cliff is four feet from the fairway at about the 300-yard mark, which is yeah. pretty remarkable to think about. And he just was a little quick, and he pulled yeah. it down the left side, and he knocked it into the cliff area, took a drop. He actually knocked it pretty stiff on the 17th hole. Uh -huh. He missed the putt from about, what, 12 feet or so. I mean, yeah. little did we know at the time, had he made that, yeah. he yeah. might have been in a playoff. But then, you know, in 18, he had to basically just kind of dribble it down the fairway because he drove it in the rough and had to hit a yeah. about a 70-yard wedge. He had to make it to win and yeah. just knocked it barely over the pin and made the putt coming back. So that drive on 17 really cost him. And you're right, his, his yeah. golf swing is beautiful. You know, he won the Open Championship a decade ago. I'd kind of forgotten about that. It's been so long. But I know he's oh, yeah. close so many times. The seven yep. runner-up finishes, including he was right there with Kepka and Mickelson 
at the PGA right. last month when he finished tied for second. So it, it's yep. got to be tough to come so close so many times. Yeah. But you're right. It's really interesting how beautiful his golf swing is, yet it is not translated into the number of victories yeah. you would think. And it's not because he's a bad putter or anything. He's a very no, good putter. No. It just seems like someone's always just a little better than him. Well, and and not the fact that it's it's a, a good a, a pretty thing to look at, you know, visually doesn't necessarily mean that it's you know the result is that fantastic. Even though the result's pretty good, I'm just talking about from a tempo and pace standpoint. If you just watch that over and over and could adapt any part of his swing, it would be in that. And like you said, Darren, his swings build on tempo. He got a little quick from the top on 17. And so nobody, nobody's perfect, especially these guys. Um, and then you take Rom, who, you know, he could swing that in a phone booth no more than he takes it back. Uh, a short backswing, yet being able to generate that much power, it's just, it's. I just find it interesting how, well, I, I think it's refreshing that so many players nowadays, and we've we've gone over this for years. You know, Adam Scott emulated. Uh, Tiger Woods, who emulated this. Who did, everybody has the same swing when you watch it, and you get a guy like Rom come along, and some of these other guys like Matt Wolf, and it's really refreshing to me. It's kind of a throwback to 40 years ago when Trevino and all these guys had their individual yeah. swings, and I think there's an evolution going on in golf right now where they're getting away from the cookie cutter um, clone swings and letting guys do, and the, the girls too, even though I mean their swings are phenomenal. Yeah. Um, you know, just taking what you got and building on that rather than building something out of what you got that isn't what you have. So it's funny when you said Lee Trevino, that era, all I could think of is Chichi Rodriguez swing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which, which he took it back, what about three feet and then yeah. about three feet. It was <laughs> crazy. Yeah. No, and it's, I mean, we remember him. So there. <laughs> That's right. Well, what is it about Rom's swing that allows him to generate so much power, John? I mean, you're right. He doesn't take the club very far back. Now, he accelerates hard at the yeah. golf ball, yeah. but is there something he does that really stands out when you watch him that allows him to generate such power without taking the club back very sure. far? Well, first, firstly, he's really strong. So, you know, strength does translate into club head speed. There's no doubt. In the past, you know, if not to say in the past, but some people rely upon the length of their backswing to accelerate and generate a maximum amount of club head speed at impact. You don't have to do that if you're strong enough to change directions and, and accelerate at the pace he does. Um, I think if you watch him too, Darren, his upper body rotation is incredible, but his, his hips as well as his upper body, he he just absolutely whips through there, and the club obviously follows that. But it's it's that, and you know, centerness of hit is so important. He, you know, he hits the ball in the center of the club face, which seems to be well. Of course, they all do. No, they don't. You know, he he is consistently strikes the ball in the center of the club face. But it's it's strength, and and I've seen him, and you've seen him play really poorly before, and that's when his tempo gets off a little bit, or he quits rotating. So you know, regardless of what your swing is built upon, the strengths you're always going to struggle at one point or another. Uh, but he just he didn't struggle with much that week. Um, he was under the radar a bit, uh, always up there near it, but he just seemed to miss putts at crucial times. that would have gotten him to the top during the week. But as you know, and they, they said it, 
Well, he loves the golf course, and that has a lot to do with it, even though it didn't seem to help Phil. But I <laughs> thought it was interesting, Darren. The, rede the redesign of that golf course, they said that Mickelson was still trying to relearn it. Um, the, the changes in the contours and the greens and some of the other things that they changed said that it, he was totally unfamiliar with it, and so had lost a lot of his home field advantage. Hmm, interesting. Well, yeah. there's a guy who goes way past parallel. Yep. I mean, as much acceleration as yep. possible. But Phil, I know, is trying to win the U.S. Open, and I think we all know it's not going to happen. Yeah. But I, I just think he puts so much pressure on himself. I, I think he's his worst enemy, even though he does all this yoga stuff and he's trying yeah. To, yeah. to stay calm. He's human, John. I mean, playing in your hometown, trying to win that first U.S. Open, I mean – that had to be a major factor. Now he didn't hit the golf ball very well. I didn't yeah. think his iron play was not nearly as good as at the PGA championship, but I think right. mentally it, it's just so hard after six runner up finishes in the national oh, championship yeah. and then playing on your, not your home course, but of course, you know, so well, it, it just has to play a factor in the results. Yeah. I think it, I mean, it, PGA, he, his expectations were just, yeah, like everything. I'd like to win this event. Yep. But given his past at the U.S. Open, uh, his, his close calls, and then the fact that he's coming home and he's basically the favorite, uh, which is ironic given his age, but just based yeah. on the golf course and stuff, I think you're right, Darren. I think there was just undue pressure on him, and he got out of his element of, you know, just just don't think about it, don't get ahead of yourself. It's I'm sure it was so hard to do for him, and that was the result. But, um, you know, he'll keep trying. He's got a 10-year exemption. <laughs> so <laughs> I guarantee when he's 61, he's still going to be trying to win it. <laughs> oh, there's, there's no doubt. And I think probably the, the senior PGA tour is, or the champions tour. They're the, probably yeah. the ones that are the most disappointed that Phil won, because I yeah. think that probably means he's not going to play as much on the champions tour after yeah. he won that PGA championship. And now he's got the five-year exemption on the PGA tour. So they're probably yeah. the one set of people that were not happy that Phil won. Yeah. You know, I think uh, the same thing with Stricker as well as Stricker's been yeah. playing it's to their detriment, but you know what Phil needs to do. And it, you can do both. He needs to play in the U S senior open and win a U.S. senior open championship that the USGA conducts. That's no slouch accomplishment. Okay. It doesn't replace the U.S. Open. It doesn't replace what he's failed at before. But you saw how Steve Stricker, how emotional he was. It was his first USGA championship ever. And how emotional he, he became after he won. I mean, we did the toast after, you know, we went into a, a hospitality area in the USGA and some of the Notre Dame VIPs and, and stuff. He just bro he broke down. Really? Now, I had never heard that story. And, you know, yeah. once the cameras are shut off, you know, I never yeah. asked you what it was like to be around Stricker behind closed doors. So that's really interesting. There was a toast. And yeah. who, who was doing the toasting, I guess? It was uh, it was John Bodenhammer. Uh, I remember Stuart Francis, I guess, who was the uh, executive vice president of competition or whatever. But Bodenhammer and Mike Davis, everybody was there. Um and then John Affleck Graves said a few words on behalf of Notre Dame, which was really nice. And then Bill Warren made a presentation to Steve of a gold, uh, an Irish helmet, uh, Notre Dame football helmet that uh, he had signed, Bettis had signed, Tim Brown had signed, Core signed, and Crenshaw signed, wow. and presented that 
to Steve, totally unbeknown, unbeknownst to him, that was really touching. Um, and he put it on, which was hilarious. <laughs> and, then, um, and then, you know, they, they just do a traditional toast and then everybody kind of hung out for a little while. He would, him and Nikki and the kids drove back to Madison that night. Uh, he was, he's, you know, he's not exactly a drinker anyway. So he's like, guys, I got to watch it. We're driving back to Madison. I'm like, holy crap. You know, you didn't, how about getting a plane? <laughs> but uh, so anyway it was it was really cool yeah i don't think i never mentioned that before so. no that just shows you that winning any usga event is special you're right nothing's going to take the place of a u.s open if you want a u.s amateur you'd trade it in for a u.s open there's no doubt about that but yeah. that's really cool to hear a guy who's made a ton of money he's had so yeah. much success but winning the USGA's US Senior Open, you could tell uh-huh. it the world to him. Oh yeah, yeah. All these guys. Uh, there have been a number of instances in the past. Tom Lehman was the same way. He had never won one. Um, and and again, he got really emotional. Um, I'm trying to think who else. Kenny Perry had never won before right. he won out in Salem. So this is it's a really big deal to these guys, uh, as we saw when they were here. But um that is the you know creme de la creme is winning the usda championship and it's their last shot at it obviously um can't play in the boys junior anymore so. <laughs> <laughs> and, and roger chapman never won a major until no, the no. <laughs> that's true even though it wasn't a usda championship it was right. pretty cool and he won it twice didn't he i didn't that, he? that might be right it's i think he won it a second time as well he's the uh, yeah he's the uh Who's the guy? Oh, the from Wisconsin who won the U.S. Andy North who won the U.S. Open twice. I think it's the only thing he's ever won. Yeah, I think he only won one other event. Yeah, of that, pretty remarkable. Well, it, it's funny because I actually texted John and Tim. I think it was before the third round, or maybe after the second round, when the forty-eight-year-old European tour guy Bland yeah. was tied yeah. to the lead. I'm like. Bland leading the U.S. Open is like Chapman <laughs> leading the senior PGA. It's just, it's very underwhelming. It's nothing against the European guys. Oh, no. But we just no. don't watch them. Now, their events are on Golf Channel in the morning, but I yeah. mean, I might flip through it. But half the time, nine of the ten guys on the leaderboard you've never heard of. No. So it was a great story, but I mentioned this on Sportsbeat. When I go pay 15 bucks for a movie, you know, I want to see A-listers. I want to see, you know, Kate Beckinsale and Jennifer Aniston. I, I want to see the A-listers, not a B or a C-lister. So when we were going to the weekend, I'm kind of like, uh, Henley, Bland. Yeah. You know, we had some of the big stars on the perimeter. But yeah. all of a sudden, the weekend, John, the leaderboard blew up. And Sunday was star-studded. I mean, you had Shoffley, McElroy, Scheffler, oh, yeah. Morikawa, Kepka, Ustase, and Rom. It was kind of the who's who, and I was hoping McElroy would have a great finish. He hasn't won yeah, a since 2014. He hit the ball very, very well. Didn't work out. He was a shot out of the lead on Sunday yeah. on the back nine, but he only finished at one under five out of the lead. But to me, golf's a lot better when Rory's playing better. He's such a good quote. He's fun to watch. He talks. Yeah. He's emotional. I'm really hoping we see a resurgence from McElroy, because I think he's really good for the game, and he's really good for TV ratings, I think. I think, no, I think he's definitely on his way back, not that he was that obscure, but I think he's finally, you know, he's married, has a child, uh, the work-life balance we all talk about, I think he's got a handle on that. Uh, but getting back to what you said, Darren, and I'll go back to 
the USGA's motto of identifying the best player in the world that week, they did. That's why these guys came to the top at the end. And that has to do with how one sets up a golf course, sets up the competition to do this. And nobody's better than they are at, um, you know, so, so I think that when I say they accomplished what they set out to do, they did just that. And you could see it, like you said, at the longer we went along, the more the cream rose to the top. And um, that's what it's all about. So that was a successful U.S. Open just based upon that alone. I think as a, a fan of Mickelson, I always hated for a long time he was the best player without a major. So I'm kind of yeah. high that slogan because just because you haven't won a major doesn't mean you're a great player. Yeah. So I, I think you're Rom, not a great player. Yeah. Rom had fallen into that category, but he was so young. I thought that was yeah. a little unfair that people, oh, he hasn't won a major yet. Yeah. And probably Shopley is one of the next players in line. Yeah. You know, he played well in his hometown, finished one under par in a tie for seventh place. And I noticed he changed his putting style. He's got yeah. the putter going up his arm, and that's a big controversy. A lot yeah. of people are saying that should not be allowed. It's like anchoring the putter on your chest, which, of course, the game of golf got rid of a few years ago. As you watch people like DeChambeau and, and Morikawa put that putter up their arm, do you feel like that's not good for the game? And do you think that'll be taken out eventually? No, I don't think so, because the whole thing uh, about the belly putter was that it has to be an act of swinging as, as opposed to an act that's anchored. So to okay. a central point that the ball or the club rotates around like a – uh, like a radius around a hub or uh, spokes around a hub. I think this is that your arms are still swinging. And that's the whole idea behind putting is, is swinging at the ball as opposed to, you know, turning around your body. So I, I, I don't think they'll, they'll do anything about it. I don't know, but I don't think they will. All right. So. Final question for you on this U S open subject. As you watched the U S open at Torrey Pines, were there elements of the setup that reminded you of what they did at Warren two years ago for the U S senior open? You know, I, I, not, I, I say not really. I mean, the, the courses are so different, uh, Darren, I, I can tell you this, the flexibility you referred to earlier with the Marine layer, the soft green, where they did things to kind of protect the competition in response to that. We saw that because of the rain, we got the Wednesday night, the greens had softened up. They did a number of things, like they moved the tees back where they weren't they weren't planning on it the first couple of days because they were trying to protect the qualifiers, making sure, you know, that they could make forced carries and things like that. Once the green softened up, the game changed and they made adjustments. Um, they were prepared to do uh, our third hole, which was in the championship 14th or the 15th hole, uh, to make that a, a drivable par four. Well, when the conditions got softer they realized there was very little risk in guys going for it. Most guys would hit wedge, wedge into it. So they, it wasn't worth the risk um, or the reward didn't outweigh just playing it safe. So yeah, a little bit, but I think just their flexibility is so un USDA like uh, as far as in the past that, you know, they were so stubborn about stuff. So the fact that they were able to change things dependent upon uh, and respond to things kind of on an ad hoc basis is uh, the only similarity I could, I could really see, but. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Well, it was a good week. It was a good week yes, for the USGA. So we've had back-to-back -back Arizona State alums win major championships, Mickelson and Rom. And then next month we have the Open Championship at Royal 
St. George's. I forgot who had won two years ago. They didn't have it last year. It's Lowry won it yeah. two years yeah. ago. So he is the defending champion of the Open Championship. John Foster, Darren Pritchard with you. The Mick Ultra Golf Show will take a quick timeout. We'll come back with a question I have for John. I was asked by someone that's not a golf fan this question, and it's in regard to DeChambeau and Kepka's Twitter war. It has to do with golf. It doesn't have to do with Twitter. So I'll ask John his opinion on this coming up next as the Mick Ultra Golf Show continues on Sports Radio 960 AM WSBT. The Mick Ultra Golf Show on WSBT Radio. Darren Pritchett with John Foster. So, John, I've got a question for you. Okay. On Sportsbeat this week, Sean Styers, who doesn't watch a lot of golf, asked me this question. Now, first off, I did not know this, that the USGA reportedly asked Bryson DeChambeau if he would play with Brooks Kepka if they were paired together, and apparently he said he would prefer not to. Hmm. I'm surprised the USGA <laughs> would do that. So, first off, there's that. But here's yep. the question that Sean asked. Should the PGA Tour, or in this case, the USGA, ask a player or players if they would play with each other? Now, the background for people that don't know, DeChambeau and Kepka have publicly said they don't like each other. There's been Kepka doing interviews and DeChambeau photo bombs or video bombs from behind. They've had a little Twitter war. So there's a lot of animosity between the two. So do you like the idea of a tournament asking a golfer if he would play with someone or not? Okay. So <clears throat> let's bear in mind the first two rounds of um, any golf event, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, so let's say the U S open uh, they're random pairings. So you get into three and four, it's based upon where you're at on the leaderboard. So that's not untypical. So what the, another Mike Davis in, um influence on the USDA, whether it was him or during his term, was let's make this interesting. You know, you saw that the last three Open champions played together right. uh, as far as uh, British Open. Uh, they'll, they'll get creative in this type of thing. I could see why they wanted to do that pairing uh, just from an interest standpoint and trying to drive ratings and stuff. So I'll give you a perfect example. So uh, Chris Smith, who we both know from Rochester, Indiana, uh, Chris qualified for the senior open at, at the Warren in 2019 and, and Chris and I become really good friends. And, and so Ben Kimball, the, the, um, tournament director came up to me, championship director and said, do you have somebody you'd like to hit the first tee shot? You know, let's, let's get somebody that would have some interest local. And I said, yeah, let's get Chris to do it. And so Ben goes, do you want to tell him or you want me to tell him? And I said, no, you go ahead and tell him. So I get a text about 20 minutes later from Chris and said, is this your doing? He goes, he was so nervous. Uh, they had this entourage from Peru uh, Chester, or Rochester that came up in buses to watch him. And he was at the first team at Notre Dame. And he walked by me and he goes, I was not this nervous at the U.S. Open. He goes, this is crazy. Uh. So he hit the first tee shot. And Darren, he barely made it over the creek on our 16th hole, which was the first hole. He, he, he was just absolutely uh, paralyzed almost. This way. Anyway, I, I digress a little bit. But, no, that's not untypical. I think you see it in PGA Tour events, too. They try – well, I'll tell you what they do. They alternate early and late, too, for TV. Sure. To make sure on certain days you'll see this player, certain days you don't. So that's, that's not untypical for the first two days to be somewhat flexible. And I, I can see why they ask that question. I'm surprised he said no. Well, here's my answer. I said in a major, 
you can get away with it more than in a regular PGA Tour event. And here's why, John. I felt like if it was the Firestone Invitational mm-hmm. or pick your favorite lower level golf tournament, I could see them being paired together and one of them withdrawing because they don't have to play yeah. in all these events. Yeah. The major yeah. not going to withdraw. Oh, no. I think you lose one of the two if you pair them together in a mid to lower level PGA yeah. tour. Now, if it's the PGA or the Players Championship or something like that, they would play together. But I don't know if you could pull that off in most golf terms. I think one of the two would probably just pack their bag and say, nope, I'm not coming. Well, uh, now, I don't disagree. They want to. But can you imagine the blowback on that? I mean, I basically be painted as a coward uh, with those two egos. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't I don't. And and it could become a sideshow as opposed to something of interest. So I, I, I could understand why the Greater Milwaukee Open doesn't want to do that. <laughs> wow, there's a great old golf tournament right <laughs> yes, there. Yes, it was. Wow, look at that. <laughs> I guess I worry about if you start asking golfers, and I don't know, maybe this happens now and we just don't know it. Yeah. I feel like if you start asking guys, do you want to play with this person? It could lead to 20 yeah. different players saying, I don't want to play with this guy. So then you're putting together the pairings. And you've yeah. got all of these, well, I can't do this. I can't do that. And eventually it's going to be the same people playing with the same people every week. So well, well now, worry this there's a difference. No, Go ahead. Darren, there's a difference between asking, because that was a unique situation. When I'm talking about pairing some of these other creative pairings, they don't ask the players. They just do it. The thing with uh, Chris Smith was, you know, Ben asked me from a local interest standpoint, who would you be? He didn't ask Chris if he'd like to play, be the first off. He told Chris he's going to be the first off. So I think in this case, due to the sensitivity and the history of those guys, that's why they ask. But normally they don't. They just pair them and try to get as creative as possible. I guess my thought is this. But if they ask DeChambeau, I just worry other tournaments you'll have golfers saying, I don't want to play with this person. I just worry that leads yeah. to this becoming more common. And I'm assuming it doesn't happen. I've never heard of it happening before. Again, maybe it does, and I don't know it. But yeah. I just worry about player A then going to the next tournament saying, you know, I really don't want to play with this person. Yeah, I don't I don't think that's – well, they won't give you the option. I mean, if that were the case, nobody played with Glenn Day. He'd be there by himself every time. <laughs> and it's, it's not because he's not a nice guy. It's because he's so slow. Yeah. Um, there's certain people that players just shudder, I'm sure, when they get uh, paired with them, but you really you really don't have a choice. So, Like Bubba Watson might be difficult, I would think, to, to play with just yeah. because he does a lot of talking and he'll complain to his caddy. And Yeah, yeah. I, that's probably an uncomfortable pairing for a lot of people. So. Well, yeah, I can think of some other oh yes oh yes all right we'll take a quick time out john and darren with you the mick holter golf show on sports radio 960 a.m wsbt sneak back on the program of course from time to time and i'm going to call him a regular contributor for golf topics on sports beat am here on wsbt radio so again john my gosh it's been an absolute pleasure and we will miss you around here, to say the least. Thank you for all your contributions to the game of golf. And I, I got to be honest, it'll never be the same going to Warren without you there and being able to say hello in the office. So so thank you so much for all you've done for us on the golf show and just the golf industry in general in our area. You've made it a lot better. Well, thank you, Darren. It's been, uh, it's been the best uh, experience of my life, seriously, the last 20 years working at Notre Dame and at the Warren course and working with the Warren family. Uh, 
And yeah, there's no doubt I'm going to miss the people. I'm, I'm already kind of lonely. You know, I don't have people drop in my house. I wish they did right now. They could help me pack, but they seem to want to stay away. So I'm definitely going to miss that. I'll be back from time to time, hopefully, and maybe I'll get able to play around a few more at the Warren. But for now, yeah, pulling up stakes and leaving next week. Well, in 10 seconds, any final shot on Tim or are you good? Nah, I think it, I think he showed his true colors by not coming on the show today. <laughs> It's a little bit like um, you know, DeChambeau not wanting to play with Kefka. There you go. I think Tim just felt intimidated. Yep. So, John, thank <laughs> you so much. We'll talk to you again soon. All right, Darren. Thanks, buddy. That's John Foster. I'm Darren Pritchett. This has been the Mick Holter Golf Show on WSBT South Bend. Thanks for listening. This has been the Mick Ultra Golf Show, presented by Michelob Ultra, locally distributed by United Beverage of South Bend. Michelob Ultra, superior light beer. Don't compromise. Also sponsored by Bill's Heating of Goshen since 1951. For all your heating, cooling, and plumbing. Also by Pet Refuge, Leck Leitner Door, Sherwood Tire, the Food Bank of Northern Indiana, your local Edward Jones financial advisors. Edward Jones, making sense of investing. Member SIPC. And OSMC, the Orthopedic and Sports Medicine Center. This has been the Mick Ultra. Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering, char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today.